Welcome to the Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. As we move into chapter 11, my encouragement to you, uh, if you have a family that you're sharing God's word with, read the whole chapter together and then ask your children, who are we reading about? Who was this chapter about? Who is this righteous branch? Who is this shoot um, that we're reading? We begin. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of Yahweh shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of Yahweh, and his delight shall be in the fear of Yahweh. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of Yahweh as the waters cover the sea. In that day the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west, and together they shall plunder the people of the east. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites shall obey them. And Yahweh will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt and will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels. And he will lead people across in sandals. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. This is the word of the Lord. The shoot from the stump of Jesse, the branch from his roots that will bear fruit, upon whom the Spirit of Yahweh will come to rest. This is the Messiah. This is Jesus. Let's unpack. So the shoot, um, new growth. We're being invited in 11 verse 1 to consider the the Israelites having been cut off. God has already punished them. He's brought about his judgment on them. Uh, Assyria has taken over Israel. Babylon will take over Judah. And it's as though the tree has been chopped down. They were bearing bad fruit. They got cut down. 
And yet out of the stump, out of what remains, out of the remnant of God's people, as we were just looking at the remnant, Shir Jashub, a remnant will return. Out of that remnant, a shoot will come up. I don't know how many of you have ever had the opportunity to see that from a fallen tree, but it does happen. Um, sometimes when you see a, a tree that has been cut down, you will see new growth beginning to come up out of the stump. And that's what we're seeing in this picture from God in Isaiah 11, is that this new growth is coming up out of that stump, and it is a branch of its own. And it will bear fruit. And that's the point of the tree, is to bear fruit for creation to eat. And Jesus is going to do that. That fruit will be life for us. The stump of Jesse uh, so the remnant of God's people, the remnant of Jesse's family. Jesse is the father of David, the king. And so it's that reiteration of the promise from 2 Samuel 7, that one of David's descendants will sit on his throne uh, forever. Uh, these two promises are connected without a doubt. The branch of verse 1 connects us back, though, immediately to the previous verses at the end of chapter 10. God has just cut down a tree. He has just chopped down the tree that is Assyria for their pride. He has just cut off their branches. And instead, we then move to this other tree. So you've got this wonderful contrast. Maybe we shouldn't call it a wonderful contrast. This is a terrible thing for the, the tree being cut down of Assyria. Um, but for those who are of the remnant, and really for the rest of the world as well, because of what Jesus has come to do, this is a beautiful thing. That there is life promised for us. Some of the words coming in verse 2 should bring you back to the names of the child in chapter 9, which again is Jesus. So you've got counselor and might here in verse 2. He was called wonderful counselor, mighty God, as examples to connect the text. In verse 3, his delight will be in the fear of Yahweh. So he submits, he delights in submitting to the will of the Lord and doing whatever the Father gives him to do. He doesn't judge as we judge. We judge with our eyes or, and our ears. He will judge with the perfection of God, the righteousness, upright, because he knows all things. Later in verse 4, he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. God's word is a two-edged sword. Uh, we learn that in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 in the New Testament. Or as you look at the second part of that, with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. We have very similar wording as you come into the book of 2 Thessalonians. It's chapter 2, verse 8, and the reference there is to the devil. Uh, as we think of the wicked one, uh, the devil being the evil one, struck down by the breath of Jesus. In verse 5, the righteousness would be the belt of his waist. That will probably bring your mind to Ephesians chapter 6. In Ephesians 6, you have, we're told by Paul to put on the whole armor of God. What you may not know about that chapter is that five of those six pieces of armor are actually specifically references to Jesus and prophecies about Jesus from the book of Isaiah. And here's one of them right here. Uh, the only one of the six that isn't a Jesus prophecy out of Isaiah is the idea of the shield. Uh, that God would be our shield, though, is a theme, and it's seen commonly enough in the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms. That kind of language shows up several times. 
So Paul's encouragement then in Ephesians 6, as we try to fight against the devil, is that we would put on Christ. It is Christ who has forgiven us. It is his righteousness that, that gives us peace, that delivers us from the devil's grasp. Verses 6 through 9 show us the restoration of creation. It wasn't long ago I was trying to find a picture of wolves and lambs together for a PowerPoint for a Bible class I was doing. And there are no PG-rated pictures that I could find on the internet that I could share. Or G-rated, either one. And this is Matthew chapter 10, verse 16, that Jesus tells his disciples that he is sending them out as sheep among wolves. And you know what wolves do to sheep. They kill them. They devour them. The pictures would be a bloody mess if they had both in them. And so here in verses 6 through 9, we're seeing the opposite. Predators and prey no more. Predators no longer eat meat. Prey are no longer devoured. There is no death in creation. The cow and the bear lie down together. The lion is going to eat straw instead of meat. The child can play over the the hole of a poisonous snake, and nothing happens. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. Death is not a part of paradise. Beautiful picture of the paradise to come, the restored creation for us in those four verses. Now, as you come into verse 10, another interesting picture. Uh, in that day, the root of Jesse, so Jesus, the, the one who is growing, the shoot, the branch, the root will stand as a signal for the peoples. This word signal um, is a banner or a standard or a flag um, in the Hebrew language. It, it can be translated any of those ways into English. And so what you should be thinking of with this word is the old picture of war. I don't know if warfare still works this way or not. I mean, it may still in many places, but it's certainly the old picture that when you rode into war, rode into battle, someone on your side was responsible for carrying the banner, the flag, the battle standard, it would be called. That standard, that flag, as long as it was up, your, your army was in the fight. But if that banner fell, if the flag fell to the ground, it was a symbol that you had been defeated. This is part of why in American culture, the, the regulations around flag codes and things, you're not supposed to let the flag touch the ground. There's connections in these things. And yet we are told right here, this word specifically used is that Jesus is the signal. He is the banner. He is the standard. He is the flag of his church. We don't need an American flag in our church sanctuaries. We don't. Because we already have a flag. A better flag. We have the flag that is the very cross of Christ himself. A flag that will endure all time and all things. This nation can be destroyed, and if time goes on long enough, this nation will be destroyed. But Jesus is everlasting, as is his battle standard. He has defeated sin, death, and the devil, and he's done it for you. That cannot be overcome.
all the nations will inquire of him. So the, the good news, the gospel of Jesus will go out to all people. Part of that re- reminds us that the remnant, God's people, are supposed to actually be talking to and telling others about Jesus. They're supposed to be displaying the battle flag and standard so that others will inquire. Why do you believe what you believe? Why do you have hope? Who is this Jesus to you? And you get to answer. And his resting place shall be glorious. You could actually go two ways on that phrase, resting place, empty tomb, paradise. So the empty tomb is the picture of Easter. For something to be glorious means it points us to Christ. Easter points us to Christ. I mean, what did Jesus do for us? Not only did he die to forgive sins. He rose again from the dead to conquer death and to give us life. The empty tomb of Christ is glorious. It points us to who he is and what he's done for us. So you could take it that way. Most likely many are probably going to lean towards this simply being a reference to paradise as we just read in verses six through nine. But I think both are fair and both are encouraging. Both are glorious to think of. Now, obviously paradise will be of more glory uh, than that empty tomb, because that empty tomb, even in that, it's part of this broken creation. It's the resurrection of Jesus that we would want to focus on there. Verse 11. What is this second time that God has extended his hand? You could take that in two ways as well. And both of them are in the immediate context of the passage. The one is the idea that God has extended his hand in judgment, and so now he's going to extend it a second time in restoration to restore the remnant. The judgment hand has been expressed five times again in chapter 5, 25, three times in chapter 9, and then in chapter 10, our previous chapter just from yesterday. So it's it's been here, we've seen it. The other way, and the way most commentaries end up taking that second time, is that the first time is a reference to God stretching out his hand to restore Israel from Egypt. That phrase gets used in the Exodus account a few times, that God with extended hand brought up his his people from the land of Egypt. So either way could be used uh, for whatever the first time is. God has restored, he's recovered the remnant of his people. And we want to, as you read all those place names, I mean, even the first two, Assyria is off to the northeast, Egypt is off to the southwest. I mean, those are as far away from Israel as those people are thinking at that time. It brings us to Luke and what what Jesus says in Luke 13, 29 about salvation. People will come from east and west and north and south and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. So wonderful text here um, pointing us to the restoration of God's people. Verse 12, again, that signal being mentioned, the cross of Christ is going to be raised up for all people to see. You have Israel, you have Judah, and then you have the four corners of the earth. Think of that not in flat earth theory, think of that more like the compass. The compass has the four cardinal directions of northeast, south, and west. People from all over the world will be gathered together under the cross of Christ. 
You have a little bit of the separation of sheep and goats there in verse 13. As those who harass God's people will be cut off. That's Matthew 24, 25, the judgment that Jesus will separate those who believe in him and those who don't. All the sinful divisions will cease, is the second part of that verse. No longer will Israel and Judah be at war with one another. They will get along as the people of God. That's more of a paradise statement as well, because uh, we know how well we get along in the church today, don't we? Uh, that was a bit of sarcasm. We don't get along, unfortunately, all that well. We don't forgive one another as we ought. Verse 14, uh, interesting language in verses 14, well, just 14, that they would swoop down on the Philistines, that they would plunder the east and stretch out their hand against Edom and Moab. Those phrases sound like judgment. Those phrases sound like destruction. And yet, what will the church do actually for, for all those lands? It's twofold. As we, again, Hebrews 4.12, the two-edged sword, the church will proclaim both law and gospel. The church will speak the life, the word of life from Christ, but also a word then that brings death for those who reject it and rebel. So they're swooping down. This is Acts 1.8, as the church after Pentecost goes out into the world to the ends of the earth to share the news of Jesus Christ. And that will, as Jesus said, bring division. So that's there. Um, that verse can also work both ways. Verse 15, God is going to pave the way for them to return. So he's going to destroy the sea. He's going to make it into just small little streams, easy to cross by. He's going to even lead the people across in sandals, meaning they can cross on dry ground like they did with the Red Sea. There will be a highway from Assyria. God is bringing his people home, and there, the, there will be a highway indicates that there will be many. Um, this is a little contrary to what we read in the idea that a remnant of God's people would be restored, which remnant sounds like a small amount. Or in the New Testament, Jesus talking about the narrow way that leads to life, while there is a, the broad or the wide way that leads to death and destruction. But we rejoice because this highway from Assyria, again, it's a reference immediately to the Israelites returning home, to Judah returning home. But even better than that, it's a reference to the, the billions of Christians in history who get to be in paradise someday. And that's what we're all looking forward to is that time that we get to be together with our Lord and Savior.